chapter 3 and the verse number 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let's just pray that God will speak to us through his word. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Here in Malachi chapter 3, we get a sense of Christ coming. He is the one who is coming suddenly to his temple. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Of course, this refers to Christ coming the first time to the world whenever he came as the, the child into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Because there's a messenger coming first. Behold, I will send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall come suddenly to his temple. The messenger was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who would come preparing the way. The one that was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, spoken here by Malachi. And then the Lord would come. He would come suddenly to his temple. And of course, he would quite literally visit the temple. He, he would come to overthrow the, the money changers. He would come to teach in the very precincts of that temple. He would come suddenly. Is this solely what Malachi is referring to here? I, I don't think it is. I, I think there is much more here than the Lord coming the first time in a physical way. I believe that here we have a, a picture of revival. Because when God revives His church, God comes to His temple. The church of Christ is the temple, made not of stones of brick, but the church of Christ is a temple in that it consists of living stones. And all of God's people, we are living stones that have been set into place, and we're all part of a, a spiritual structure. And whenever revival takes place, God reveals His glory and His presence in a new way amongst His people. He comes to His temple. This verse, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, I have heard several sermons preached over the years uh, upon the subject of revival. Very memorable sermons, particularly at the minister's week of prayer. Whenever the Lord comes amongst His people, and that's what we're longing for. That's what we want to see happen. That's what we need, is the Lord to come. And that's what we're looking for during the course of this gospel mission, that God would come down. 
But what happens when the Lord comes? What happens when, when He appears? Well, that's where verses 2 and 3 come in. But who may abide the day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. So He comes like the fire of the refiner, like the soap of the fuller. There is a sense of Him coming to purify to cleanse, to cleanse His temple, to cleanse His people. And then we have the focus upon the refiner here in verse 3, and this is what we want to look at today, the refiner. What happens when the Lord comes? He refines His people, and He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So, whenever the Lord comes, He refines His people. And this is descriptive of God's dealing with us in all of our lives, this work of refinement. Whenever God comes in a very real and personal way, the work of refinement becomes so much more intense. And whenever God comes to revive His people, there is that sense of sinfulness, that sense of unworthiness. And God's people repent of sin, get things right with God, because God has come down amongst them. And so, this is what we are looking at here. Now, it's a metaphor, a metaphor to describe God's dealing with His people. It's an industrial metaphor. We see here the refining of silver, the removal of the, the dross so that the substance becomes pure. We see the refiner sitting, and he's got his, his crucible, and the, the silver is in the crucible. The crucible is heated, and the silver, it melts. The dross comes to the surface, and so the dross is able to be taken away. It's able to be skimmed off, and the silver is made pure. And there's a great picture of what needs to happen in all of our lives. It's a great picture of God's sanctifying grace in the hearts of His children, this work of refinement. So, let us think about the refiner today. In the first place, we'll think about the need, the need for refinement. Silver in its raw state is impure. It needs to be refined. That it might be valuable, that it might be useful, it must be refined. The impurities need to be taken away. Without that refinement, the silver is dull and it's dirty. It's not really useful, and it's not valuable. You don't see it in its full potential, its full glory. You see a little of its potential, but it's not anywhere near what it could be, because it needs to be refined. I was thinking of silver and how bright it is when it's, when it's polished and refined. It's bright, it's shining. I thought of that word bright and how we use that word to describe God's people by times. A person bright for the Lord, that's what we want to see. God's people bright for the Lord. A person who's bright for the Lord has, has energy, energy for God, zeal, enthusiasm. That person has, has real commitment to the things of God. That person has a genuine and sincere spirit. Nothing can hold them back. They just want to get on with serving God, and they love every moment of serving God. Bright for the Lord. 
How bright are you today? As you come to God's house, are you, are you bright for him? Bright, shining, filled with enthusiasm, filled with purpose, filled with intent for the things of God. How bright are we? Perhaps you sense your dullness today. You know you're not bright. There's a dullness there. When you come to read the Scriptures, you feel dull of spirit. You're just getting through the reading. No more. Perhaps the Bible is left empty, left closed more times than it's open. There's, there's not that real interest. You know that lack of interest is there. You're lackluster. Prayer's just a chore. Oh, you pray, but it's more about saying prayers than it is about actually praying from the heart. There's not that zeal for God's service. You sense your dryness, even as you come to church. It's just going through the motions. All are things in life that are so much more important. And that's how you feel in your heart and your soul, even though you may never say it. Where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where is your soul today? Are you really bright for God? When worship descends into formality, it becomes dull. When worship is energized by the Spirit of God, with the Lord's people being full of zeal, it becomes bright. But it's all about the state of our own hearts. Don't blame your dullness on someone else. Don't blame your dullness on the church. Dullness is a state of your own heart. So are you dull or are you bright? What happens when God's people become dull? Why does that happen? And we all experience that. We all feel it. There's not one of us as bright as we could be. Could be the business of life. Just taking your eyes of the Lord. The busyness of this world. So easy to get caught up in the humdrum of things. You lose sight of Jesus Christ. Happens to everyone, let's be honest. Maybe it's something else. Some old sinful habit has got in. It's concealed. Not many are aware of it, but you know about it. And sin where you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with your sin, if you don't confront your sin, if you don't get on your knees and confess that sin and turn from that sin, if you don't face that sin head on and and say it needs to be dealt with. It'll take a hold of you. And you might struggle and try your best to go on with the things of God, but it'll weigh you down. It'll hold you back. The Apostle Paul, he talked about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. But he also said in that passage, lay aside every sin, the weight that doth so easily beset you. But like the runner trying to run a marathon in a full suit of clothes, camp it on. It'll weigh him down. He needs to lay the other clothes aside and dress for the occasion in order that he might run and run with patience. And and so it is with us. We need to lay aside the weights. The weights are there. And we'll never be the people God wants us to be if there's something keeping us back, something that God knows about, and he does know about it. The dullness is there in the silver because of the dirt, because of the filth, because of the dross. And where there is dross, where there is sin, even though it might be mixed with faith, it'll hold you back. And sin is such a filthy thing, and it's a dirty thing, and it has such an impact upon our testimonies and upon our witness as Christians. So we need to be refined, because the things that hinder us the things that hinder us fulfilling the purpose for which we were intended. 
They need to be taken away. Now, this word refine, it, it means to improve. If you refine something, you improve it. It's all about improvement. And that's what this work of refinement is all about. And God is interested in our improvement. And that's what I find so encouraging about this, that God wants to improve us, to make us better. That's what sanctification is. God progressively improving the people of God, that we might be made more useful, that we might be made more bright. There's no way into that work because we'll never be perfect. And so the work of refinement is a continual process, and I am so pleased that I have a Father in heaven who, who wants to refine me, who has an interest in refining me, who has a great plan that we haven't yet realized. And so we need to acknowledge with all humility today, Lord, I need to be refined. If you don't sense that need, I pity you. We need to be refined. Let's also look at the work, the work of refinement. And the, the metaphor here is of the refinery sitting over his crucible. He lights his fire. The silver, it, it warms. The dross forms a skin over the surface. He keeps skinning the dross away. He just sits there patiently. Skims the dross away. Skims the dross away. But in order that that liquid be purified, the liquid must be, it must become liquid. So, so the, the silver in its natural state, as we know, is not liquid. It's hard. And it, it, it'll, it'll never be refined unless it's melted. And so there must be the fire and there must be the, the melting in order that there might be the removal of the dross. In like manner, God melts us. It's part of his work. He, he breaks us down. He puts us in his crucible, and he lights the fire in order that we might be shaped into the people that we ought to be. It's the work that he does, and it's not an easy work to be exposed to. But it's a necessary work. Turn with me over to First Peter chapter four and the verse seventeen. I want to show you something. First Peter chapter four and the verse seventeen. For the time must come, the time is come, that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Where does judgment begin? It begins here. It begins in God's temple. Malachi talked about the Lord coming suddenly to his temple. And when God comes to his temple, when God comes amongst his people, there is judgment. Judgment begins at the house of God. But what does judgment mean? Does judgment mean punishment? Not necessarily. When the judge sits and presides over a case, the judge is not there initially to punish. He's there to determine guilt. He's there to inspect. He's there to look. He's there to make decisions. He's there to listen to evidence. He's, he's there to consider the whole subject openly and impartially. That's his job. That's what judgment is all about. Judgment is all about inspection. So... Whenever Peter says judgment must begin at the house of God, 
he's telling us that God must inspect our lives. God must examine our lives. God must look at our lives. And God must remove the sin that is in our lives. That's what this word judgment means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean punishment. There's only one place, well, there's actually two places where God deals with sin, where God punishes sin. One place is the cross, and the other place is hell. And those that have not been to the cross and experienced Christ as Savior will go to hell. And those whose sins have been punished on the cross will never be punished for their sins. In a judicial way, God doesn't punish the sins of his people. So this work of judgment is not about punishment. It's about this refinement, this refinement that must take place, and it must take place in the house of God. It's one of the purposes of ministry, one of the purposes of the Spirit of God, that the refiner will do his work and remove our sin. And one of the means that God uses is persecution, the fires of persecution. If you look again at, at verse 16, notice what it says, the verse before this text in 1 Peter 4:17. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Then he talks about judgment beginning at the house of God. And so it is quite clear, he, he's saying that at times, God permits persecution to improve the welfare of His people. And though persecution is hard and difficult and tough, yet God allows it to happen that His people might be improved spiritually. That's what happened in the early church. It happened in the book of Acts. It has happened all the time in history. Where there has been persecution, God's people become brighter. Persecution certainly has sifted the wheat from the chaff. Persecution has discovered those that were truly Christ and those that aren't. Those that are masquerading as Christians. Those are the true Christians. But amongst the true Christians, when persecution comes, there is that brightness as God has dealt with their sin through that persecution, taking away the dross. There are occasions that God does that. He brings tough things into people's lives that we might be made improved spiritually. At times, God may even decide to make us poor materially to make us rich spiritually. We have to be alive to those purposes because where we are spiritually is what we're really going to be. To have riches and glory is more important than riches on earth. We have to be careful where our priorities are. In Psalm 66, verse 10, we read, For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. As God's people in ancient times went through tough things, God was proving them, trying them as silver was tried. He was doing it for a great purpose. Zechariah 13 and 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. And their God's people were brought through difficult times, refined, tried, like gold and silver. But then they were brought to the place where they would know the Lord in a new way, because God had done this with them. Job, he talked about this. He said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knoweth the way that I take. And you think of Job's enormous trying, trials, and yet he said, God did all this to bring me through that I might be as gold. He could see the purpose of God in it all. God has a purpose in all things, things that we, we think 
uh, why would God allow that? And yet we know that he has a great and noble purpose in shaping us and fashioning us into the people that he wants us to be. He uses his word. At times his word is like a fire. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 12, in the verse 6, we read, the, word of, the words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried and a furnace of earth purified seven times. God's words are pure. They're like silver tried seven times, the purity of Scripture. And God uses the, the purity of Scripture to burn into our hearts, teach us, to show us ourselves that we might see the Lord in His glory. The fire of God's Spirit. When we see that vision of the, the Spirit of God in the book of Revelation, the Lamb is upon the throne. The Lamb has seven eyes, seven eyes of fire. And those eyes are the Spirit of God sent into all the earth. The Spirit of God like fire, burning into hearts, burning into souls, convicting, revealing us, letting us see ourselves as God would see us. The Spirit of God comes to search, to examine, to convict, to challenge. The Spirit of God comes to lay His finger upon our sins that we might be refined. This is, this is God's work within us. The truth is, the church is an army, yes, but every army needs to be trained. And the training a soldier gets is very tough and difficult and rigorous training. And if the greatest battle of all is the battle that is waged, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, then it follows that the Christian life is going to be one great long training camp, testing, trying us, in order that we might be strengthened, made hard for the battle, in order that we might be improved spiritually. This is what God is doing within us. And we must be submissive to His work. But the great lesson is we're never alone. We're never alone. The captain of our salvation is always there. And God has that purpose for his people. And so we see the work of refinement. But thirdly, let's think of, about the purpose, the purpose of refinement. As the refiner sat there over his crucible, patiently looking into the silver, seeing the dross, seeing the impurities, skimming it away, he was waiting for something. He was waiting to see his face in the liquid. Whenever that liquid was so pure that he could look down and see his very face in the shimmering liquid, he knew he had done his work. He knew the silver was pure. And that's the purpose of God in our lives. Christ is as, as that great refiner. And he's looking into our lives, and he's refining us. He's working on us. We're always a work in progress. He's looking to see his face in our lives. He's looking to see his reflection. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's doing. Now, ultimately, that great purpose will not become a final reality until the resurrection. Whenever these vile bodies are raised so that they become like Christ's glorious body, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That will be the final end of God's purpose 
will be like Christ. But all along earth's journey, there should be that progressive revealing of the likeness of Christ in us. It should be our prayer that this year people will see more of Christ in me than they saw last year. That progress. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying in the book of Romans chapter 8. And the verse, the book of Romans chapter 8, and the verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to Christ's image. That we might be like Christ. That's the end. You know, sometimes we quote that verse, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But do we really stop and think about what the word good means here? Does it mean I'm going to be healthy? Does it mean I'm going to be rich? Does it mean I'm going to have a nice job and a good career and a lovely home and decent-looking car? Is, is that what it means? Is that the good? Is that all God's interested in us? Yes, He does look after us. He does feed us. He does give us our daily bread. He does give us richly all things to enjoy. But is that solely what the word good means? If we think that good is just those material things, we've missed the whole purpose, the reason for our being. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The good is His purpose. It's His purpose. God has a purpose for us. What is it? Well, verse 29 tells us what that purpose is. That we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the purpose. That's real richness. The character of Christ being formed in me. The character of Christ being formed in you. There is a sense in which this metaphor, this parable of the refiner, it, it fails because every true earthly metaphor fails somewhere, because no earthly metaphor can ever properly reveal the full extent of the spiritual work. The silver cannot respond. The silver is just an inanimate object. The refiner works on that silver, brings it to the place where it ought to be, where he wants it to be, but the silver doesn't respond because the silver is just silver. But we are different. We are the people of God with spiritual life within. And therefore, there is a response within our hearts to the work of the refiner. And as the refiner works upon our hearts today, as God speaks to us, as God challenges us, as God moves upon us, is there a response to the Word of God? Is there a response? But let's come back to the silver again. In order for that silver to be removed of its impurities, it, it must be melted. In its hard state, it's, it's no good for refinement. There must be the furnace. There must be the fire. There must be the crucible. You see, when our hearts are hard, the Word of God just runs off like water off the duck's back doesn't get in. 
So in order that that word might get in, God melts us. He breaks us down. Are we willing to be broken today? Are we willing to be melted? Are we willing to be changed? Are we willing for the Lord to come and work in our lives? And if God, if we aren't willing, God will make us willing. And that's the solemn thing, you know. If, if we are genuinely God's people, and if we resist the will of God and the call of God, God will so work in our lives, and He'll make us willing. And that's solemn business. He'll do what it takes to bring us to the place that we need to be and we ought to be. He'll do what it takes. Because the refiner has a purpose. We need that resolution today. I'm going to press on with God. We need that resolution. If there's anything in my life that's hindering the blessing of God in my life and in the life of others, Lord, I want it dealt with, and I want it dealt with now. And it might mean you'll not leave church until it's dealt with today. That's the kind of resolve that we need. If we're really serious about seeing God come in revival power. Maybe you're backslidden today. Once you were bright, now you're dull. It's been going on for too long, and well, you know it. This is your moment for restoration. Asking the Lord for forgiveness for that new beginning. Let's bow for prayer. You're here today. You've lost out with God. You're backslidden of soul and spirit. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Now I'm coming home. Will you give the Lord your heart today? Where you're at, lift your heart to the Lord. Lord, Forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me. Wash me, O Lamb of God, wash me from sin. Lord, change me by your grace. Father in heaven, write your truth upon every heart. Give us that spirit of surrender and dedication. For Christ's sake, amen.